0: To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha, or visit Buddha where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more.
1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're starting a four-part series to learn Buddhist chanting. Over four individual sessions, I'm going to be teaching you Buddhist chanting. Today we're going to be discussing a bit about the history and why somebody might actually do Buddhist chanting. And then I'm going to actually show you how to do the Buddhist chanting and we'll actually practice it together as a group. So I'd like to welcome you to our first class in a four-part series to learn Buddhist chanting. Let's start first with understanding a bit about the history of Buddhist chanting and where it comes from before we actually move into discussing the reasons why we might do Buddhist chanting and how to actually do it. During the lifetime of Gautama Buddha, he spoke and he shared his teachings orally. Everything was spoken orally and nothing was written down during his lifetime. It wasn't until after he died that things were written down. So the way that he helped his students to remember his teachings and then thus be able to practice them is that they would listen to him teach and understanding the discourses, then they would commit them to memory through reciting them orally in what we would call chanting today. The original teachings were captured in the pali canon so we call this the pali canon or the pali text because it is the pali language this language is no longer a spoken language today and people study it particularly monks will study this and academics will study this and there's people who translate the teachings from the pali language over to various languages like english and others but during the lifetime of the buddha since they didn't have these books available to them and nothing was written down they needed to be able to Commit the teachings to memory. And they did that through listening attentively to the Buddha during his discourses. And then, twice a month, basically every two weeks, the Buddha would have his students come together and chant the teachings word for word for word for word. So, when you're reading the Pali Canon in English, most likely, those words that you're seeing and that we're reading out loud in class in the Pali Canon in English study group the students of the Buddha would have heard those from the Buddha's own lips. They would have committed them to memory and started reciting them orally in chants every two weeks over the course of a year. So basically 26 times a year for 45 years that the Buddha was teaching, they would have been chanting those same teachings over and over and over and over and over again and this allowed them to commit them to memory and then they could discuss them informally and investigate them examine them they could reflect on the teachings they could then practice the teachings but ultimately this is what led to people getting to enlightenment and getting to this peaceful calm serene and content mind with joy is committing the teachings to memory and then once the buddha died they decided to write them down so about three months after the death of the buddha 500 enlightened beings got together there were many more enlightened beings than that that existed during the lifetime of the buddha but after his death about 500 of them got together three months after he died and they decided to write down the teachings and there's one particular student of the buddha who is largely accredited with remembering the teachings and writing them down this is his student named ananda this is reportedly had been his cousin or perhaps his brother-in-law that was related to him and was part of the royal family. But he left the royal family to become a student of the Buddha and he was with him pretty much the entire 45 years that he was teaching. So Ananda and these other 499 enlightened beings wrote down the teachings based on what they had committed to memory, based on what they had been practicing, based on what led to their own enlightenment and based on what they were actually chanting nowadays people still chant and they still chant in the pali language some people know what those words mean and they understand those meanings of the words and these are the discourses of the buddha and then there's other people who are still learning and they might just know the chants and they're able to recite them in pali but they don't necessarily know the meaning of the words the chants that i do there's three individual chants that i'm going to be sharing with you guys they're in pali and I have the English translation so that you can see the meaning of the chants. They aren't actual teachings of the Buddha, but you can see in the actual chant there are certain aspects of the chants that you can learn various aspects of the path to enlightenment and about the Buddha and so forth. So I will be doing that as we go through and sharing the chanting with you guys. But let me share with you guys first some reasons why I actually do chanting and how it can benefit you because this is really important to learn as you're preparing to learn chanting is to learn the reason why you would be chanting. The benefits of chanting start with understanding that when the Buddha taught meditation and he provided his instructions, step by step by step by step of how to actually meditate, he started with teaching his students to set up mindfulness in front of you. This was something that he taught in multiple discourses when he was teaching meditation, he taught to set up mindfulness in front of you before you actually start meditating. What mindfulness is in the way that the Buddha taught it is awareness of mind, having awareness of the mind. Because as you're training the mind on the path to enlightenment, if you're going to purify the mind, you're going to need to have awareness of the mind. You're not going to be able to purify it of unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities if you don't have awareness of the mind. So this mindfulness or awareness of mind needs to be cultivated and practiced all throughout your day. By the time you get to enlightenment, you're gonna to need to be practicing mindfulness all throughout your day. In fact, as the mind moves into the jhanas, this is where mindfulness is fully developed and fully practiced, which will help you make the rest of your way to enlightenment. More specifically, mindfulness is the four foundations of mindfulness, which I'm going to be discussing this Sunday when we teach the Eightfold Path as part of the group learning program. I'll be teaching you the four foundations of mindfulness, which is what you're ultimately cultivating in meditation and outside of meditation. But here, I'm just sharing with you that the Buddha taught to set up mindfulness or this awareness of mind in front of you before you meditate. So essentially, you're not just plopping down and meditating. You're gaining this awareness of the mind as you ease the mind into meditation. So as you're learning chanting and you're actually doing chanting, you're starting to become aware of the mind as you ease the mind into meditation. So that once you actually start your meditation, you'll be getting benefits right from the beginning. So you're developing this awareness of mind during the chanting, you're developing this concentration, and you also need to develop a certain amount of memory in order to learn the chants and then practice them. Essentially what you're doing by developing the mind, you're developing the concentration, and you're developing this memory is you're exercising the mind. As you learn chanting and as you do it before your meditation session and or after your meditation session, you're going to be exercising the mind because if you never exercise the mind, you wouldn't have these qualities of mind to be beneficial in your meditation and outside of your meditation. So if you never exercised a muscle, it would experience the decline of that muscle and you wouldn't have the strength that you need in order to lift a certain amount of weight. The mind is the same way. If you don't exercise it by developing awareness of mind, concentration and memory, then you won't have that available to you in your meditation and outside of your meditation. So the chanting is an activity that you can learn and that you can practice in order to develop this awareness of mind, concentration, and memory. You also develop a certain awareness of breath, which I'm going to help you with today. As we're chanting, there's a certain place where you need to breathe. And if you pay attention to that, you can start not only becoming aware of the mind, developing concentration and memory, But you can develop this awareness of the breath, which are the things that you need in order to ease into meditation and get the benefits of meditation. In effect, you can be getting benefit from your meditation right from the beginning because you've done some chanting to ease into the meditation. Whereas if you were to just plop down into meditation and start meditating, you wouldn't get the same amount of benefits as if you would have prepared the mind with some chanting and then observe the breath and become aware of the breath as you ease the mind into meditation. The chanting also helps to slow the mind down, to relax it and ease it into meditation. Oftentimes people are meditating because their mind is overactive and they're trying to train to get to enlightenment. And in order to train to get to enlightenment, you would need to slow the mind down and relax the mind and ease it into this meditation. And the chanting can do that for you because rather than just rattling off a bunch of chants, you're going to do them nice and steady, nice and consistently. You're going to have a certain amount of consciousness as you gradually build up your chanting practice you'll kind of slowly do that as you relax the mind and ease it into meditation sometimes as you're developing your practice on the path to enlightenment whether it's any of the steps of the eightfold path or your meditation, you know, some of those steps are like right speech, right action, and others. You might be having some challenges at different times to know whether you're actively making progress on the path. Some people can see progress on the path as early as a few days, other people, it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes people can be somewhat degrading to themselves and not really see the true progress that they're making. So by learning chanting and actually practicing it regularly, you can see this audible indication of the improvement of your practice, because you'll know how you chanted with the very first time that you learn chanting. And then as you chant more and more and develop your practice, you'll have this audible indication that your chanting practice is improving. So this can be motivating and encouraging and build some enthusiasm in your actual practice. These teachings that the Buddha shared with us and that you're now learning as part of studying the resources that I share, whether it's the YouTube videos, the books, the podcast, whether you're in the Facebook group, whether you attend any classes or courses or retreats with me, all of these teachings have been handed down from the elders from the lifetime of Gautama Buddha 2,500 years ago all the way until now through the Pali Canon. And this Pali canon is something that people had to dedicate time, effort, energy, and resources to in order to preserve it. And building temples and having ordained practitioners and all the various facets that make up the Buddhist tradition, people had to preserve that over multiple lifetimes. And if people received value from the teachings then they were incentivized to actually preserve these teachings and people did preserve these teachings because they were impactful they were beneficial they were helpful to them in their life so over 2500 years we've had countless people that we will never know their names involved in this continuous chain of preserving these teachings all the way to the point where now they're reaching you in this lifetime. And depending on the work that we do in order to preserve these teachings, then the teachings will be available for future generations that are ahead of us and that have not yet even been born. So part of chanting and part of what I think about while I'm chanting and while I was learning these chants and so forth and working on them at different times, I'm thinking about the respect and gratitude that I have for these elders who pass down these teachings all the way to the point that they're with us right now. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to actually have these chants. So respect and gratitude is something that you're going to need to cultivate in order to get to enlightenment. If you didn't have appreciation for people that were helping you, if you didn't have gratitude for the people that were helping you, and you didn't have respect for people, then you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment. So you're going to need to cultivate appreciation, gratitude, and respect in all parts of your life, with all people in your life so if doing some chanting can help you arise some appreciation gratitude and respect in the mind for these elders who you'll never know it can kind of boil over into other parts of your life Where now you might have that appreciation, gratitude, and respect for your parents, for your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, your brothers and sisters, your life partners, your children, maybe your teacher who you're learning these teachings with. This can help bubble up some appreciation, gratitude, and respect in the mind, and then it can overflow into other relationships that you have. So this can be really helpful for you to cultivate those qualities of the mind. And then lastly, now that we've talked about the benefits of chanting, let's talk about what chanting is not. Because we've talked about what chanting is, at least from a historical standpoint. And I've talked about why you might do chanting and the benefits associated with it. But now let's talk about what chanting isn't. Chanting is not any mystical or magical thing. There's no mystical or magical benefits associated with chanting. There are people in the world that will tell you that there are but there isn't. Oftentimes what you'll hear is people will say, if you chant this chant, you're gonna get an extra long life. Or if you chant this chant, you're gonna get more wealth. Or if you chant this chant, you'll get your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend will come back to you. Or if you chant this chant, all your bad karma, all your unwholesome karma will completely disappear. Or even if you chant this chant, you'll get to enlightenment. This is not true at all. And you can actually test this for yourself. If somebody tells you that if you chant this chant, you're going to get an extra long life, then in that community of practitioners, there would be people who are 150, 200, 300 years old because they've been chanting these chants. And you could look around and you could see that there would be people that are 150, 200, 300 years old that are in that community. But you won't see that because it's not true. But people believe these kind of things, and that's why these things continue. Oftentimes, the chanting and the words that we use in a chant, people don't understand what the meanings are of these words. And because of that, they assign these kind of mystical, magical meaning to the actual chants themselves. And because of that, people's minds start believing that they mean something that they don't because they don't know what the meaning is. So therefore they assign this mystical or magical meaning to the actual chance. I don't judge people who do this. I don't look down on them or anything like that. But I'm just sharing this with you because you'll hear this from other people that chanting has these particular mystical or magical benefits, but it doesn't. If chanting was actually required in order to get to enlightenment, the Buddha would have made it part of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the core, central teaching of the Buddha. It's the path to enlightenment. It is your life practice. The Buddha points to the Eightfold Path multiple times in his teachings and says, this is the path to enlightenment. But when you look at the Eightfold Path, what you see is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. You're never going to see a step on the Eightfold Path that says, Right chanting. And the reason why is because chanting is not required in order to get to enlightenment. During the lifetime of the Buddha, I would say that it was required because you had no way of committing it to memory and memorizing the teachings if you weren't chanting because there weren't books, there weren't YouTube videos, there weren't podcasts and things like this. It was only listening to the Buddha and then reciting the teachings to commit them to memory. And people did this on an ongoing, regular basis. But nowadays, because we have books, YouTube videos, podcasts, and things like this, we don't have to memorize the words of a discourse word for word for word for word. What we need to do is we need to absorb the meaning into our mind so that we understand the meaning of the discourses of the Buddha, and then we can reflect on those to independently verify them and then practice them. And when we bring the teachings into practice, that's where we see the real results. So we're not required to chant in order to get to enlightenment, but if you do chant, these are the benefits that you will observe, and you won't see anywhere that chanting is required in order to get to enlightenment. There's people alive today who are enlightened that don't chant. And this is because chanting isn't required. So this is the one thing that I will teach you where I will share with you this is completely optional. You can choose to chant. And if you enjoy it and you find a lot of benefit in it, then wonderful. Continue to do it. But if you do this for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, and you realize that it's not really something that's connecting with you, then you don't need to do it. You can still get to enlightenment without chanting everything else that i teach isn't that way whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation loving kindness meditation whether it's right speech or right action or any of these other teachings that i share with you you would need to learn and practice those in order to get to enlightenment but with chanting you don't need to do that you can set it to the side but keep in mind that the unenlightened mind craves permanence another way to say this is it does not like impermanence it does not like change Therefore, whenever you learn something new, whether it's chanting or anything else in your life, the mind will typically reject it. It might fight or it might run because it doesn't like change. It doesn't like impermanence. So whether it's chanting or anything else in your life, you can't really make a true assessment of whether something is beneficial for you or whether it's something that you might like to do or you might be something that's beneficial for you until you've developed it for a period of time. So this is why I suggest for people to do chanting for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, and as they're doing that, then make a decision of whether or not this is helpful for you or not. Because when I first started learning chanting, I could barely put two syllables together. I was stumbling all over my words, stumbling all over my tongue, trying to get my tongue to say some of these words and syllables. And if at any point I would have given up, then I wouldn't have been able to do chanting. But now I can do chanting and it really helps me to ease into meditation and ease out of meditation. And as a teacher, I think the students really appreciate, at least when I teach live, I know that students really appreciate having a bit of chanting to help them ease into meditation and also to help them ease out of meditation. And I don't need to carry around a gong. I don't need to carry around a bell and try to hit a gong or hit a bell in order to bring people into meditation or out of meditation. I can do that. No matter where I am in the world, whether I'm on a bus tour in India or Nepal, whether I'm in a retreat in America, whether I'm teaching at a temple here in Chiang Mai, I can just use the body, the mind, and the breath in order to chant, ease myself and students into meditation and help ease them out of meditation as well. I'm not tied down to a gong or a bell or some other device. So these are the reasons why I do chanting, and this is the benefits that I receive. If you decide four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks not to do chanting, then you should still find a way to cultivate these same qualities, because you're gonna need these qualities. You're going to need to set up mindfulness in front of you before meditation. You're going to need to develop awareness of the mind, concentration, and memory. You're going to need to develop awareness of the breath as you ease into meditation. You're going to need to slow down the mind, relax it, and ease it in you may decide that you would like to have some kind of indication that you're improving your practice. And you're gonna to need to develop some kind of appreciation and gratitude and respect for the beings that are in your life and people that are around you, because you're gonna need that in order to actually get to enlightenment. Without appreciation, gratitude, and respect for the people around you, you wouldn't be able to actually get to enlightenment. And you're gonna to need to eliminate from the mind the belief or the misunderstanding or the misperception that there's some kind of rite ritual ceremony or worship that's going to lead to some beneficial result in the mind if you understand the teachings of the buddha that you need to cultivate wisdom in order to get to enlightenment then you understand that there's no mystical or magical thing there's no rites rituals or ceremonies that the buddha taught in order to help you get to enlightenment it's all about cultivating wisdom and training the mind The Buddha speaks very clearly and shares how you need to eliminate superstition from the mind in order to actually get to enlightenment. You need to be able to see the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, or action and result, the results of your decisions. You need to be able to see that very clearly, that that is indeed what is producing the results of your decisions. And that's what's producing whatever you experience in life. Because as long as you believe that you could do some mystical, magical, auspicious or superstitious thing to create some kind of benefit then you're not cultivating the wisdom of this natural law of gamma of cause and effect or action and result. You're not cultivating that wisdom to then be able to make wise decisions and experience wholesome outcomes. And in that situation where you're lacking wisdom of the natural law of gamma, that means you're making unwise decisions that are going to lead to unwholesome results. And you'll stay stuck in the cycle of continuing to experience unwholesome things in your life because you might be believing that there's mystical, magical, auspicious, or superstitious things, or you might believe that there's rites, rituals, ceremonies, or worship that's going to lead to some beneficial result. But if you understand the truth of the natural law of gamma and all the other natural laws that the Buddha taught, then you know that that is not true, and then you might still choose to practice something like chanting for the reasons that I've discussed here in our class today. So I'm going to open up to any questions that you guys have related to what I've shared so far before we actually move into learning the chants and actually chanting them together and practicing them. You can ask your questions by putting those into Facebook, into YouTube, or Zoom, and I will answer your questions for you and help you get the answers to the questions of anything that I've shared so far. By the way, in Zoom, I think the people that are in Zoom already know this, you can raise your hand and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. There's an electronic way for you to do that. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions in YouTube. I'm not seeing any in Facebook or in Zoom either. So let's go ahead and move forward to looking at the actual chants that we're gonna be learning. And then I'm gonna help you guys learn these and actually chant them together. This first chant, it's called the Triple Gem or the Triple Jewel. This refers to the Buddha, the teachings, and the community. I suspect that these three chants that I'm going to share with you were actually created after the lifetime of the Buddha, because as you read the translations, they're showing this enormous amount of respect to the Buddha. A Buddha isn't going to teach their students to chant things that honor and respect them. That's not how a Buddha thinks. A Buddha doesn't try to put themselves up high and teach their students to bow down to them and praise them in that way. A Buddha thinks very humbly of themselves and they think of themselves as being equal amongst all individuals. Sure, they're providing teachings that are helping people to get to this liberation and this enlightened mind, and other people might choose to put a Buddha up high but the Buddha himself isn't going to do that. So these chants, I suspect were created after his death because there was countless people by that point that had gotten to enlightenment and they were very respectful, very much appreciative and grateful for the teachings that he shared throughout his life. So you'll see in these three chants, there's this enormous amount of respect and gratitude to the Buddha himself. And we call this first one, we call it the triple gem or the triple jewel. The reason why is that the buddha taught throughout his life that in order to get to enlightenment you would need to have confidence in the buddha the teachings in the community without these three things you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment and of course you need other things too like to develop your practice of the eightfold path and things like this but you wouldn't be able to accomplish any of the cultivation of wisdom or developing the eightfold path or any of these other teachings if you didn't have confidence in the buddha access to his teachings and you weren't part of a community. If you just had one of these things or you just had two of these things, you still wouldn't be able to cultivate the mind enough to get to enlightenment. So if you had confidence in the Buddha, but you didn't have access to his teachings and you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment because You need access to his discourses and you need to be part of a community because a teacher is going to help you to get to enlightenment because the unenlightened mind can't always observe itself and see its own ego or it can't see that it's practicing wrong speech, for example. In some situations, you can see these things, particularly as your practice develops more and more but you're not gonna be able to see them real readily oftentimes. So you need somebody who you trust and who has your best interest in heart and in mind so that they can help you to see your own ego and see where you're not practicing right speech and see where you're clinging to perceptions. So things like this, a teacher's role is to point out this treasure for you so that you can see this. So you would need to have confidence in the Buddha But if that's all you had and you didn't have access to the teachings and you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment because you wouldn't be able to study his teachings and you wouldn't have people to help you. If you just had access to his teachings, but you didn't have confidence in the Buddha and you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment. If you just were part of a community, but you didn't have confidence in the Buddha and you didn't have access to his teachings, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment because you're just part of the community. And even if you just had two of these things, if you had confidence in the Buddha and you had access to his teachings, but you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't have a teacher. You wouldn't have role models to help you understand how to practice these teachings. So even with just confidence in the Buddha and access to his teachings, you wouldn't still be able to get to enlightenment there. You need all three of these things in order to actually get to enlightenment. So when we chant we call this the triple gem or triple jewel because it shows respect and gratitude to the buddha to the teachings and to the community and this is done in the pali language and this is typically chanted at the beginning of any event related to gatherings of people who are going to be discussing the teachings of the buddha or any kind of other events major holidays and things like that at the temple they're going to be chanting this And one of the beauties about learning how to chant in the Pali language is that this tradition of Theravada Buddhism, which is in Thailand, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Cambodia, Laos, and southern Vietnam, in reality, it's really spread all throughout the world, but these are the real focal points of it. If you learn chanting in the Pali language, you can go to any Theravada temple anywhere in the world and you can chant right along with the people. Even though you've never met them before, you could go to Sri Lanka or some of these other places and you'd be able to sit down in a temple and you'd be able to chant right along with those people. The accent will be a little bit different. The dialect will be a little bit different. But nonetheless, you guys will be able to chant together. And that's one of the unifying things about the Theravada tradition. Whereas some of the other traditions of Buddhist teachings, like Mahayana tradition and Vajrayana tradition and others, they chant in localized language. So you would need to learn Chinese first, and then you'd be able to chant with the Buddhists who are in China. Or you would need to learn Vietnamese first before you could chant with the Vietnamese people who are chanting in Buddhist centers, and so forth and so on. You need to know a bit about Tibetan language in order to chant along with the Tibetans. But with the Theravada tradition, which means the teachings of the elders, everybody's learning with the Pali language and the Pali chants. So even though that we don't necessarily spend time in Sri Lanka, or if you don't spend time in Myanmar or Laos or Cambodia, if you happen to either go to those places or if there's a temple from that place in your country, you could go chant right alongside of these people and you would be able to have a nice harmonious chant because you've learned how to chant in the Pali language. The way that I chant is with a Thai dialect because when I learned chanting, I heard the Thai people chanting this regularly. So when I started chanting, I started chanting with what would be considered like a Thai dialect or a Thai accent. Where somebody might be able to observe that if they know what Thai sound like when they chant. When I'm chanting it sounds very Thai from what Thai people tell me and from what I observe when I am around people who aren't Thai in their chanting, I can tell the difference between their chants and the chants that we're doing. They're similar and they're very similar, but there's just this little bit of dialect difference, a little bit of accent difference. So what I'm gonna do to teach you guys these, each one of them, I will chant first, And then after I chant it, I will do it with all of you guys and guide you and instruct you in learning the chant. But first, I'll just chant it on my own so that you guys can hear it. And then after you hear it, then I'll walk you through step by step, helping you to cultivate this and develop it for your own practice. So what we do is we bring our hands together in a palm to palm at our sternum, at our chest. And then I'll take a nice deep breath here and actually, let me take a, a little sip of water because I've been talking for a while. My mouth's kind of dry. All right. So what I'll do is I'll just bring my palms together, palm to palm, at my sternum. And I'll take a nice deep breath and then I'll do these chants.
2: Chants. <laughs> Poor ตั้งมหาเขวันังอปิวาเต sūpati pāno mahakavatō Sanko saṅghaṃ namāmi
1: all right so there you might have noticed that there's kind of a natural pause at the end of each line there's a pause and that's a nice place to take a little half breath and then at the end of each line where there's a period we will typically do a bow some people will bow to the floor when we're in a group sitting on the floor or if you're just sitting like this like i'm sitting in a chair i might just raise my hands up to my forehead to my my hairline and that's a way to show respect to the buddha the teachings and the community so there's a breath that you can take at these natural pauses the first two phrases there's a break right in the middle the third phrase There's two individual breaks. So let me show you where the breaths are. And if you'd like to take a breath here, you can. You're not required to. You don't have to. But this is just a natural place to take a breath that I can give you guidance to take a breath here. And it might be really easy for you. So at the beginning, we take a nice deep breath.
2: And then. Right there. Take a nice little half breath. Here's
1: where you're going to bow and then take a nice deep breath
2: to start the next phrase. Right here is where you're going to take a nice half breath. Daming namasami. Again, a nice bow with a nice deep breath. Supatipano mahakwato. Little quarter breath here. Sawakasanko. Nice little breath there and
1: then you do your bow and then from there you move on to the next chant. But let's chant this one together in order to get you in the habit of chanting so that you'll hear my voice chanting and you can chant along with me. It would be wonderful if we could open up our mics on Zoom and we could all chant together but unfortunately The internet has a lot of impermanence in it. So if we opened up our mics, it wouldn't really blend nicely together the way it would if you're in person. So if we're ever together in person, where if you're here in Chiang Mai or I'm teaching a retreat somewhere and we're together in person, we can all be chanting together at the same time, which is nice. And there's this a bit of harmony to the chant and it sounds very powerful. But for now, as you're learning, we'll just need to leave our mics off until we're together and we're able to actually chant together. So if you'd like to bring your palms together in front of your chest, you take a nice deep breath here. I just went ahead and muted you called on. Take a nice, oh, we have a question here. Um, Sorry, before I uh, start the chants, it looks like we have a question. Uh, Max is asking, where are the chants and translations found within your books? You'll find these in chapter 11. So if you go to chapter 11 in volume 1, you'll see the chants in there. Okay. And by the way, also on the website, if you go to buddhadalywisdom.com, there's a link for a free download of books. And there, there's a one-page front and back chanting kind of quick reference sheet. So if you go there, you can download that and you can print it front and back. And what I usually do is I laminate them because I use them over and over and over again. And this keeps them nice. And then now you can have it in your meditation room. So every time before you meditate and after, you could use the book if you'd like, but you can also use this easy reference sheet to be able to reference it as a one-pager as part of your meditation practice. All right, so if you'd like to bring your palms together with them at your sternum, we'll take a nice deep breath and chant this together.
2: Haka one hung SAWAKA Sometimes when you're in certain environments, you get a nice
1: clap at the end of a chant. Some people in some communities, they will clap, so don't be surprised by that. of encouragement and motivation that you know yay we did a good job yay clap 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 so we can do that too if you like all right so are there any questions on this particular chant you can put those into facebook youtube or zoom or you can raise your hand electronically in zoom and i'll be able to answer any questions that you have i'm not seeing any questions in facebook youtube or zoom so in that case let's move on to the next chant we will come back to this one we're going to do a whole run through at the end but let's just go on to the next one so that you guys can learn the next one and we can kind of get prepared for like a whole run through so this one i just refer to it as the and this one is just the same phrase repeated multiple times you're repeating it three times so you're repeated the same phrase over three times And typically when children are learning chanting here in Thailand, if they are able to kind of talk a little bit and they're starting to make a few sounds, oftentimes parents are teaching them how to do chanting. And this is typically the one that they will teach them is this one first, because it's a real simple one. It's really straightforward. And a lot of the syllables are in other parts of the other chants. So you can learn all three chants at one time, the way that I'm teaching you here but if you'd like to take a smaller bite and just get proficient with one chant before you move into the others it might be this one that you decide that you would like to learn this one and repeat this one multiple times and then move into the others. And that's what I used to do, is I used to chant this one three times. So essentially nine times I would chant the same phrase, and then I would do meditation, and then I would chant the same one nine times again. And then once I built some proficiency with this over a few weeks, then I moved into the Arahang the and then I moved into the next one, which I'll teach you, which is the So this one here is called the and I'll go ahead and do that for you with my palms together, let you listen to it, and then I'll come back and share with you where I breathe, and then we can do it together as a group. So here I'll take a nice deep
2: breath. Nap more hassa hack so you might have
1: heard the natural pause there when I was chanting. It's right in the middle of the phrase, and that's where you
2: take a nice little breath. So it's naputasa pagwato, and here's where you take the breath, and then Napmoid hack Breath Arahato Sam put us Breath Arahato Sam so you just do the same phrase
1: three times and there's no bowing or no gesture at the end of each phrase. You just do each phrase three times. So looks like we have a question here, sir. It seems like the sound was breaking up a bit during the last chant. Yeah, it very well could be Max. That's the impermanence of the internet that you may not get a steady, consistent signal. This is one of the reasons why we can't open our mics. So. We're kind of limited to what we can do based on the the internet and even me speaking It might break up occasionally as well. So unfortunately, I, I don't have any ability to to make that otherwise So let's do this one together You can bring your palms together at your sternum and take a nice deep breath here
2: Nap <laughs> Arahato some masam putasa Nap moha sab hakavato Arahato some So, this one's really straightforward
1: typically. Let me see what questions you guys might have about this one. Again, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and I'll be able to answer any questions that you guys might have related to this chant. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions on Facebook or YouTube, and I don't see any in Zoom either. So we'll go ahead and move into the last chant that I'm going to teach you guys, which is the, what I call the ETP so. This one I feel is a little bit more involved, at least it was for me. It took me quite a while to get this chant. For other people, they tell me this one's a lot easier, right? Because of impermanence, not everybody's going to see it the same way. So for this tongue and this mind, it took me a while to get this one. But for other people, you might be able to develop this one quite readily or quite easily. So same thing. I will chant it first, let you hear it. Then I'll come back and show you where the breaths are. And then we can do it together. Okay? So I'm going to put my hands together at my sternum. Take a nice deep breath.
2: ITI BISO MAHA KEWA ARAKHANG SAMA SAMHOTO WICHA CARANANG SAKHATO RUKA VITO Anu teropuri sa dhamma sati satta tawat manu sang putopakwati.
1: And then there, at the end, we kind of drag it out and put the hands up to the forehead. Okay. So this is what I refer to as the so okay? So here, there's pauses, and you guys may have heard them already. Your ear might be starting to get tuned to where the pause is, but let me just point it out for you. There's one pause in each of the first two phrases, and then the third phrase, there's two pauses there that you could take a nice breath if you'd like to, and it's up to you. This first one,
2: itibiso emakawa. Oh, there you might take a little breath. Now you take a nice deep breath. We cha cha Little breath. Nice breath. Anu tero sa little breath dama sati ta wa manu sanang. Little breath. Potopaka. Okay, so that's where the breaths are. You might be hearing those by now.
1: You're not required to take a breath there, but that's just a suggestion for you because as people are chanting, there tends to be a natural pause there, and that's a good place to take a little breath and be sure you have enough breath to carry you out through the end of the chant, okay? So let's do this one together, give you guys a chance to practice it. You can bring your hands together, palm to palm at your sternum.
2: Take a nice deep breath. KITI PISU MAHA SAMUNO SAKATO ROKAWITO ANU PERO PURISA DAMA SATISATA TAWA MANU sanang ho pawati okay we clap, 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 yay <laughs> all right, so.
1: Notice that when we're doing the chant, it's nice and steady. It's nice and consistent. You're not rushed and hurried because that's what the unenlighted mind oftentimes wants to do is it wants to hurry up and hurry up and hurry up. So you're not just rattling these chants off incoherently, but you're also not dragging it out. You're practicing it in the middle where you're very intentionally saying each individual syllable and you're putting your intention and your mind behind each individual syllable. This is what creates the power. You're bringing the sound up from inside the body, inside the diaphragm. You're bringing it up through the mouth and really powering through. So it's, you can really power that through and get some real power behind it because you've got awareness of your mind you got awareness of your breath you're very intentionally chanting each one of these and when you're chanting by yourself put just as much emphasis into these chants as when you're with a group When I chant by myself prior to meditation or in or after meditation, I'm putting just as much emphasis into the chanting when I'm doing this by myself as I am when I'm doing it with other people. Because if you understand the meaning of these chants, which you can see the translations in the book and all the other resources that I share and here on the screen, you can see that you're chanting and showing this gratitude and respect to the Buddha for all of his knowledge and all that he did he's not listening to this, he's not somewhere, you know, it's not like a prayer that you're doing these chants, but you would like to put this real emphasis and this confidence, this gratitude and this respect into your chant, where you're not just haphazardly chanting, but you're really putting this emphasis and this real meaning behind it. That way, by having the translations and understanding the meaning and putting that into your chants, you can have some real meaning behind the chants. They're not just empty words. So when I chant this, there's always some real intention behind it, both through the mind and then powering through the voice and bringing the air out of the body to make these sounds. So are there any questions on this particular chant? You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and I'll be sure to answer any questions that you guys have. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions at all. So let's do this. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, which is the very first chant, the Arahang samasamputasa, and we'll take it from the top. We'll go through the Arahang samasamputasa, and then we'll go to through the Natthassa and then we will go to the ETP so, okay? So this will just kind of get you in the habit of going through all three chants at one time and kind of getting in the habit of doing that. So if you'd like to bring your palms together and put them at your sternum, I'll flip the slides and at least try to so you guys can see these as we go, okay? So take a nice deep breath.
2: Ara hung MAHAKAVA POTANG or mahakawa. Poor so, what is the Sāvaka-saṅkho namami NAP MOI RHA SAH iti pisso amhakawa arahan sammasamuto wicha Anu tero puri sa sati sata Manu sanam Paka All right, good job. I can't hear
1: you guys, but I'm sure it sounds beautiful out there. All right. If you guys would like to ask any questions, you know that you can do that through the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or raise your hand in Zoom electronically. And looks like Max is putting a link in here for those of you guys in Zoom, which will take you to the one pager, I imagine, that is the front and back, where it's a kind of an easy reference sheet for you. You can find that on the buddha Daily wisdom.com website by going to free books. But those of you guys in Zoom, Max is putting it here. He might be putting it in Facebook and YouTube as well. I'm not sure. All right. Well, I'm going to see if there's any remaining questions on the chance based on what I shared with you guys. I'm not seeing anything in Facebook or YouTube other than Max politely sharing the link for those of you guys to get that easy reference sheet. Thank you, Max, appreciate that. Let's see, I'm not seeing anything. So I guess you guys are understanding this. So here's what I would recommend that you guys do from this point forward, now that you've been practicing the chants at least a little bit here in class and learning them, is that now, if you have that easy reference sheet and or if you use the book chapter 11, before your meditation session and after your meditation session, you would like to Chant these so that it eases the mind into meditation and it eases it out of meditation. And it also gives you some practice. It takes about two and a half minutes to chant on the way in and on the way out if you do all three chants and that way it gives you a little bit of practice before your meditation and after your meditation. You might also decide to do some practice where you're just doing the chanting. You're not necessarily meditating. Maybe you're just going into a room for 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes, and you're just running through the chants a few times or practicing them, going through them nice and easy, where you might be doing all the way through all three chants maybe three times and this will probably take you all of about you know 10 minutes 15 minutes maybe if you have a glass of water or something that can help you keep your mouth uh, nice and moist and then that way you can practice occasionally of just doing the chants and then you're able to put it together with your meditation practice so if you build this up as a practice you'll be able to see that it really works to help ease the mind into meditation and out of meditation but as you're learning this and as you're doing this, don't feel like you have to chant for every single meditation session because that would be permanent if the mind was craving to do that. there are some situations where you might chant, other situations where you might not. Or you might just chant quietly within your own mind. There's times where if I'm meditating and I am getting ready to meditate and I only have a certain amount of time and I would like to you know, go to sleep, I might not chant before I meditate and or after. Or sometimes my son sleeps in the room with me, I might not chant prior to meditation and or after and when I used to travel back and forth between Thailand and America on the plane I used to do meditation on the plane and sometimes I would do the chanting quietly in my own mind so you might not always make it audible right so don't feel like you have to chant every single time don't feel like you have to chant at all and don't feel like you need to be audible you can actually do it quietly within your own mind and just kind of moving your lips but nonetheless as you develop this practice you can see the benefits of it As you have questions, I'm going to be teaching you this four-part series over the course of the next three weeks, where each individual Wednesday, I'll be coming together and we can be chanting together like this and give you guys a chance to practice your chanting. And if for some reason you can't make these classes on Wednesdays, there's always the recording that you can watch on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast, and then you'll be able to chant along and you'll be able to practice your chanting and build this up so thank you all for being dedicated to learning the buddhist teachings and developing your practice of chanting i see chanting as part of your meditation practice I don't see it necessarily as a standalone thing, even though I practiced it as a standalone thing in certain situations. I see it all as part of the meditation practice and helping me get benefit out of the actual meditation. Nowadays, we don't need to chant in order to remember the teachings. We have books, videos, podcasts, things like this to be able to do that, and we can glean the meaning of the teachings, reflect on them, and then practice and see the truth for ourselves as the condition of the mind improves. And if you'd like to develop your Buddhist chanting practice, you now have the ability to do that through what you've learned today. On Sunday, I'm going to be teaching Chapter 5 of Volume 1, which is titled The Eightfold Path, The Path for All Humans to Enlightenment. This is your life practice. This is the core, central teaching of the Buddha, and you would need to know this inside and out, backwards and forwards, in order to be able to get to enlightenment. You probably are gonna be interested in learning this multiple times throughout your progression to enlightenment, because you're gonna need to dial this in closer and closer as you progress forward on the path to enlightenment. It's not a matter of just learning it once, and then you're gonna be able to master it right away. So oftentimes, students are learning it more than one time. As I teach you on Sunday, I'm going to be using the words of the Buddha about the Eightfold Path so that you can see what did he teach and what he didn't teach. It's utterly important as you develop your practice that you use the words of the Buddha. So all the books, all the resources, all the classes, courses, retreats that I share, they're all based on the words of the Buddha. So when I teach you the Eightfold Path on Sunday at 9 o'clock in our group learning program, whatever time that is in your time zone, I'm going to be using the words of the Buddha so that you can see exactly what he taught and what he didn't teach. And then I'm going to help you to understand how to learn it, reflect on it to independently verify it, and then practice it. So as you develop your practice, you can see more and more that it's working to improve the condition of the mind. And then, as I mentioned, next Wednesday, we'll be doing the chanting together in our second part of this four-part series. And then, of course, each Saturday, we do the Polycanon Canon and English Study Group. You're always welcome to join that at any time. So thank you again for your attendance. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your dedication and diligence to building your practice, because this is helping you, those close to you, and all of humanity. We'll see you guys in a future class. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadiha.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.